Welcome, you're listening to season two of But Seriously, What is Engineering? A podcast series from the University of Queensland where we explore all the corners of engineering. We'll be covering a range of specialisations and exciting engineering careers through our special guests with an aim to open your eyes to just one more part of the wide world of engineering by the time this episode is finished. And spoiler alert, it's not just about bridges and buildings. This episode is hosted by two of the University of Queensland's Women in Engineering student leaders. My name is Jess and I'm a fifth year final semester software engineering student. And my name is Kathleen and I'm in my fourth year of the Integrated Bachelor of Engineering, Masters of Engineering, majoring in Chemical Engineering. So today we'll be talking to Rob Joseph. Rob is a Queensland born and bred startup founder. Spending most of his younger years playing any sport he could get his hand on, he found his own path in action sports. Initially dirt bikes, moving on to mountain bikes, and then a stint competing at cable wakeboarding, he found his true sporting love of snowboarding late in life at age 17. After school, he started an undergrad of medical engineering with the hope of combining his love of sport and engineering into some form of career. When not chasing adrenaline, Rob would spend most of his time tinkering. Originally eyeing off prosthetics for sport, his attention turned to brain protection after experiencing firsthand the pain points of brain protection in action sports. After a look around, he realised that there wasn't really anything interesting or progressive happening in brain protection. So he teamed up with his co-founder Brody to change the way we protect brains across all categories, starting in the unlikely market of snow sports, and thus Anti-Ordinary was born. Welcome to the podcast, Rob. Thanks for having me. So we are so keen to learn more about your startup and your career progression to now. Let's get a little bit of an idea of how your startup came to be and, and how Anti-Ordinary was born. Early in my, in my uni days, I went over to New Zealand and, and as your intro said, I, I sort of had been doing action sports for a long time. I've always, always worn a helmet. The joke was as a kid, I was either at school um, or wearing a helmet or injured. It was one of the three things. And so I always loved that. Um, and it got to the point where I was wakeboarding nearly every day. I'm doing a bit of competition here and there. And I was wearing this same helmet every day and it never had a problem with it in the water. And I took that same helmet to one of my first ski trips over to New Zealand and um, just hated the thing. I, I was just so frustrated by it, I took it off. Um, being the, the brazen young man I was and realised very quickly that wearing a helmet wasn't particularly bright uh, because I had a fall, hit my head and we go, oh, this was a bit dumb. But then we sort of looked around and, and the frustrations of people wearing helmets were the same everywhere. You know, in any snow sports, nobody really wants to wear one, but we do it because we don't want to die. So we sort of had a look and realised that nobody was really doing anything interesting in, in snow sports and particularly in helmets. So we thought we'd give it a crack. And, and one thing, if you've been on the mountain a bit, I, I know you guys ski. We've heard, and in fact, we've heard at photo shoots of ours, without even knowing that we've got photo shoots going on five metres away, everyone says, oh, um, if only there was a beanie that's as safe as a helmet. Everyone, if you weren't trying to protect your brain, you'd wear a beanie. So we figured instead of trying to make helmets more comfortable, we'd make beanies more safe. And that's kind of where it all started. That was the genesis in 2017. It's been a long R&D run. And, and of course, COVID happened right in the middle of that. So manufacturing in China isn't particularly easy when that goes on. But um, that's effectively it. So you've touched on it a little bit, but what is the process of pro product development like for you? We're building something that hasn't really been invented before. And so what we had to do was take a lot of things from all these different areas and, and bring it along. Um, originally, the original idea was, was sound. We, we wanted to use non-Newtonian materials initially which is a um, sort of a, a, what they do is they start off soft and then turn hard when you're impacted. If you've ever had you know, that oob-like experiment at school or anything like that, it's, it's effectively that. And that was the original idea to make something that's totally soft. We went down that track for a long time and realised it was reasonably unmanufacturable from a helmet perspective. And so effectively what we did is we started, and proof of concept is the first thing. So you realise what you want to build it, 
and then you start toying with things that are in the shed. You know, the stuff that's cheap that you can you can break and it's not really a big deal. And then eventually we go, oh, this, this does work. And, and one of the early things we did, um, it might not be particularly intelligent, but we started hitting each other over the head. There was, we kind of couldn't really test a helmet without impacting it. And we didn't have the expensive sensors or monitors that we needed to test it you know, scientifically. So the first sort of backyard test we did was I held the piece of material that we built over my head and my business partner just started hitting me with some wood. And I don't necessarily recommend it as a, as a prototyping facility, but we just... It gave us enough proof of concept to keep going. And every step from there, we sort of, oh, this needs to be possible. Okay, how do we prove that? And how do we prove the next thing? And it just keeps going and going until we work with some brilliant industrial designers here in Brisbane. And then we have a you know, design engineering team over in, in China. And then more recently, we started working with the factory themselves. And we've got two patents as well, which is great. One provisional, one, one sort of being filed around the world now. Proving theories, having a hypothesis, testing it a bunch of times, getting a result, and then doing the next thing. And that's pretty much the, the process all the way to the end. Yeah, so that testing process has obviously evolved a lot. What, is, what does it look like now compared <laughs> what, to...? It looks much more expensive now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, would you believe? So um, now that we have sort of helmets and, and they are approved, our mediums are approved and, and we're getting some of the best drop test uh, results we can see anywhere in the world. We, we, as far as we know, it's the best, safest in a direct impact drop test that we've been able to find, which is pretty pretty cool anywhere around the world. Same with, same in the bike helmet. If you were to move it over to bike helmet standards, we'd be the same as well. Effectively, it's a big, expensive machine, and they have these metal head forms. They take it up to about two metres high, put the helmet on it, and drop this six kilo head form straight onto the ground. Pretty violent. I'm very glad that I'm no longer the test dummy for that one. <laughs> and we measure it in Gs. So effectively, um, for all the, all the physics people, there's a, you know, the time acceleration graph and effectively we're just trying to bring the, the acceleration down as much as possible. So that, that peak G is what we call it, um, acceleration in terms of G, is as little as possible so your brain moves around. In your opinion, what's the best part of having a startup? Building something that, from where there was nothing. You know, there's days we sort of work into the office and having a startup is pretty heinous at times. You know, it's, not it's, it's a lot of hard work, a lot of wild hours and, and you, you get it kicked out of you a lot. But some days you just walk into the office and you go, I, I built this thing. This thing was not just a thought. or And we get it. It's like, oh, it's an old concept. People have thought about it for ages. But nobody's actually built one. And we get to walk into the office and go, hey, we built this. And, you know, and in the future when we have a team of people who believe the similar thing to we do, we get to walk into our office who are you know, our friends and we get to hang out and, and ski and build the best helmets in the world and protect brains. That's the thing we're looking forward to at least. Wow, that's pretty incredible, taking like some skills that you would have learnt in high school um, of hypothesising in science to now like studying a degree and taking that long scale. That's pretty amazing to now have your own business that you're making money off at the end of the day. It's your income. Yeah, well, and that's the crazy thing about it. And I've, I mean, I've got this theory about engineering. It's just all the basic stuff, but just evolved. So, you know, the same principles you probably learned in first and second year in engineering, if you apply those for the rest of your life, You'll get really skilled at something. You get really, really good at it, and the, the, but the principles will still be the same forever. It's you might be doing it with something quite incredible, and, and people can't think of now, but they got to be able to think of it because they followed those principles from the start. And you know, there was a time where you know the light bulb wasn't invented, and it got that way, and now we're surrounded by lights and everything else is incredible. So it's one of those ones before just follow those principles, and it'll it'll find you somewhere. What's been your biggest challenge with having a startup so far? 
how long do you have? <laughs> it's um, it's one of those ones. It's some days are really hard. You know, there's days where you're at work for 20 hours and then you get back up and you do another 20 hour day. It, it's silly, um, and that whole hustle culture is, is bad. I'm not glorifying doing those hours because it's, it's not right. You shouldn't. You kind of feel like you're jumping up and down screaming about something, and nobody wants to listen, particularly with investment. It's, you know, we'll go on the mountain, we'll talk to customers, we'll talk to people and they go, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I love this so much. I want one. You're great. And then you go into an investor and the investor and they're looking for a very specific thing. And they go, oh, we love your product. Can you send us one? Are you going to invest? No, but we want one. It's like, well, why don't you invest? And so there's a lot of times where, and particularly with these concepts that, and being young as well as a young engineer, it's kind of tough because it, sometimes it's hard to, you know, some of the old great hairs. They've been around for a long time, got a lot of traditional knowledge, and we're trying to very much shake that up. And they go, no, 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 that's not possible. Like, okay, I can show you, um, but it's just going to take me some time. And so sometimes proving to people who don't have the same vision as you that the vision is on track is really tough. And a lot of people you won't. There's a lot of people who still don't believe in you know, Facebook or Twitter. It, some, you can't convince everyone, but you just got to find people you can convince. And once you do, the validation, it feels so good. But a lot of the time you're trying to chat to people who just don't. They go, no, you can't do that that way. You can't do that that way. It's not possible. And we've had a bunch of people tell us the beanies are safe as a helmet thing is impossible, but now we've got the safest helmet in the world. So it's one of those things you just kind of steer the course and believe in the things you do and go back to the principles and go, does it satisfy all these boxes? Yes, then maybe I'm not you know, wrong like everyone says I am. Yeah, and I imagine that's quite rewarding to get to that point. Obviously, it's sort of an uphill battle, but getting to that point now, you're getting a bit more recognition that it is viable and it, you know, it can really make a difference. Exactly. I got back from the States. I was just, um, just raising some money over in America, and I managed to get out on the slopes for a couple of days. Just managed to sneak up there in between some work. And um, I was on the mountain, and I was sitting next to... He was an aeronautical engineering student, actually. I was on the chairlift, and he had a computer engineering girlfriend right next to him, just the three of us, and we are chatting. And you know, he asked what they do and all that kind of thing. They go, oh, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm a helmet engineer. And he goes, oh, you're a helmet engineer, but you're not wearing a helmet. <laughs> Wait till I blow your mind. So I whipped the helmet off and they loved it. And you go, that sort of serendipitous interaction about the things is really cool. And it sort of keeps you kicking along for a little while. You've mentioned that you've traveled quite a bit, worked with some incredible people around the world um, throughout your career. So if you were to pick one of those experiences you've had abroad and interacting with people, what would be your, your favorite so far? Oh, it would be really tough to pick one. We met our first and, and primary investor on a train in Austria, and a broken down train in Austria after a Kentucky trip. I walked into a, a helmet shop in Whistler, and I said, oh, hey, what do you reckon of this? He goes, oh, you're these guys. And so on the other side of the world, they sort of knew we were there and knew what was happening, and that was pretty cool. And, and we don't belong in the snow sports industry. We're from just a couple of lads from southeast Queensland. You know, we're not even good snowboarders. And so the fact that people who are really good who work in the industry every day have heard of us and like what we do is cool. Almost adjacent to the startup thing, actually, when I was in Canada, I managed to get a couple of laps in the mountain bike park at Whistler. And the reason why I chose medical engineering is because I wanted to do prosthetics for sport or, you know, getting people who wouldn't traditionally be able to get into action sports into action sports. And the reason why I chose that was a man called Stacey Kohut. I believe paraplegic, but he's won um, all the golds, you know, um, Paralympic skiing, mountain biking, all that kind of thing. And he was the reason why I chose it because I saw him absolutely hammering down mountain bike trails in this sort of four by four mountain bike. It's just incredible. And I was riding the bike park and I just serendipitously got put onto a chairlift with him. And I, then I spent the entire day riding with that man. And it was just incredible. Me, just like a, you know, a young lad from Brisbane, all the way on the other side of the world got put onto the, the, the guy who's effectively the reason is I chose the career path that I did. And we just got put on the same chairlift. 
and turns out he was a ripping bloke. He was so, so quick. He was going through trails that I like, I like to think I'm a pretty good mountain biker. I'm pretty quick. He was going faster than me and he had much more surface area to you know, get through those tight trails. And so I just rode with him all day. And that was probably one of the coolest feelings in a long time. Not startup related, of course, but in my journey as an engineer, he was really important. And then somehow we just ended up meeting him and we chat on Facebook sometimes now. It's pretty cool. Just the way those moments align is just pretty crazy. Like. Yeah, yeah. I'm fairly the opinion that luck is made. You kind of got to get out there and give it a go. And the more out there you are, the more willing you sort of put yourself out. We do that a lot. And a lot of the time when things don't seem like they're going to have any outcome, you do it anyway. And um, I think as young engineers, it's the same. You go to the networking event, show up, even when you don't know anyone, because you don't know who you're going to meet. And, and that, that's how you make the luck. It's kind of risk and scariness multiply by opportunity and you'll, you'll get there. What a great message for students to take that leap, to step out of their comfort zone and who knows where it can lead you. On the other side of that, um, I've got a question for you about imposter syndrome. So have you ever heard about imposter syndrome and have you experienced it in your career um, at all? And then what advice would you give to someone experience this imposter syndrome in their career? <laughs> Absolutely. Imposter syndrome sucks. <laughs> Every time, you know, if you think about us, who we are, I mean, I've not actually graduated engineering yet. I'm still technically a student. And we're building helmets, which we've never done, which is a very stagnant industry. There's probably 40 helmet engineers in the world, and we've just come out of uni and gone, oh, hey, we can build this better than you. And we're doing it in the snow sports industry, of which we've never really been in. We don't really know anyone in there. Um, we're from Southeast Queensland, we're young, we're building this startup in a, there's a manufacturing game as well as safety and all this kind of thing. There's, in, in no way on paper, are we the right people to do the thing we do? And so we battle with imposter syndrome all the time. Um, same with investors. You, know, you walk into this big room of investors that are all grey-haired blokes with histories of incredible business sense and that kind of thing, and just like some 20-year-old kid going, hey, you should give me money for this thing because it's going to be rad. <laughs> and they kind of go, nah, mate, probably not. Like, you seem to have it together, but just for the fact that you're this young. Um, so we battle with it a lot. It, it happens all the time, and I, I know very few people who don't get a bit of it. And that's one of the things that feels really isolating imposter syndrome, it feels like it's just you. And while it is absolutely unique feeling and, and everyone feels it in different ways, everyone battles with it somehow. I, I read this thing about it and it's not necessarily the exact stance that I have, but it was really interesting just to ponder. It's like, if you're not feeling imposter syndrome, are you trying hard enough? Because if you're comfortable in where you are, are you going out of your way enough? Are you making something, are you working hard enough at something? I don't necessarily agree with that because it would be ideal that you could kind of run headlong into things and go, great, I can do it. I, I know I have the base of this and I can do it. But it was a really interesting concept in that if you're feeling a little bit nervous about something, if you feel like you're a little bit out of your depth, it's kind of okay because the only way to get it inside of your depth or inside of your realm of operations is to get out there and do it. And, and action sports are similar. A lot of the same, action sports are the same as a lot of these things. Sometimes you have to take, you can practice all you like, you can think about all you like, but sometimes you just have to take your brain out and do the thing and accept there's a risk that comes with that. And I think that's a lot of the same as startups and being a young engineer as well, similar to, you know, nobody really thinks they belong at the table until they do. And the only way to belong at the table is by being on it. And so that's, that's kind of one of those things that, and, and while not, not um, minimising the fact that imposter syndrome is crippling and it's horrific, but there's also an interesting concept behind it in that it, you, you're trying hard enough. You, you know, you're finding yourself the, the way that you are. And if, you, if everything was easy, you're probably not going to get a long way. You know, if you want to you work, your, work your nine to five and hang out and do the things, that's great. But if you kind of have some goals and want to do that, you're going to have to be pretty uncomfortable for a lot of it. And I think that's important to remember. Again, it's just the basic principles. It's the stuff you learn in first and second year. Just apply it differently and you just take a step up and step up. You know, if you, if you asked us five years ago some of the things we've done, I'd be like, no, nah, not a chance. Not a chance would I even walk through that door. But now it just feels 
kind of normal because we've been so uncomfortable. You kind of go, oh, no, I belong in this room as much as anyone else. I might have the, the least experienced opinion and I probably have the most to learn and I'm very good at being the dumbest in the room, but I think that's, that's a part of the growth of it. It's the growth that comes from being uncomfortable mm-hmm. is essentially the message to take away from that. You know, you're not going to grow in your career or outside of your career without making yourself uncomfortable in some form. Well, it's been absolutely awesome to chat to you today, Rob. I can't wait to get back out on the slopes. I can't wait to go home and Google your helmet um, (laughs) and have a look at what it looks like. I'm so intrigued. Um, So thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. So don't forget to subscribe or follow this podcast to stay up to date with our current episodes as they are released for season two. Thanks for listening.